Hey everyone, welcome to Hit the Apex Podcast this week. I'm Jawad as always. Thanks for tuning in today. It's the 4th of July. Um, don't worry, there's not going to be any American or patriotic references in this podcast. I just checked the date then before I announced it and it turned out to be the 4th of July. But anyway, happy 4th of July if you know, you're in America and you're tuning in. Um, enjoy enjoy the day but anyway it's a it's a great day here it's uh the sun shining outside which is always a positive but it's been a great week so far because we've had a couple of really good races over the weekend just when you thought all was lost that formula one is is going to be dead and buried it's boring and just all the naysayers out there uh, hidden on the sport after the dullness, basically, of the French Grand Prix. Austria was once again a thriller, and, you know, it wasn't the established stars that took to the front of the field to, to make this possible. It was actually the next generation of Formula One talent, which, you know, I guess Max Verstappen, he's been on the grid for some time now, but... Charles Leclerc as well was up there, those two giving a taste of what could potentially be Formula One in a couple of years' time when the likes of Lewis Hamilton, Sebastian Vettel um, decide to retire. So it was Verstappen in the end who won the race from the front row of the grid. He qualified third but was promoted up to second because of the grid penalty to Lewis Hamilton. Charles Leclerc on pole for Ferrari, second career pole, and I guess that's one thing that probably irks Verstappen is that, um, you know, he still doesn't have a pole position to his name, and I think the time's run out for him to claim that uh, moniker of youngest ever pole, um, pole sitter in F1, so Leclerc's got that one ahead of him now, so it's the second uh, pole for Leclerc, and yeah, you know, both of them basically, they ran their own separate races, of course, there was a lot of... Uh, talk heading up into the race about Ferrari they're starting on the soft tire and everyone else qualified on the medium tire that was really in contention for the for the win but you know in the end it didn't really I think it was just a couple of laps that made the difference Um, Max had the younger tires at the end he was on the mediums at the start switched to the hard tire later on and um, lap 69 of 71 he was able to pass Leclerc upon the exit of turn three and um, go in for the win. So not without controversy, though, which I'll touch on shortly. But the significance of the win for Max Verstappen, of course, um, seventh win. He won here last year as well. So you have, you know, Red Bull on their home circuit, a lot of Dutch fans in the crowd too. So, you know, if this is what the reception for Verstappen is at circuit's outside of his home in the Netherlands, wait till we go to the Dutch Grand Prix next year, Zandvoort, you know, how crazy that's going to be for him, what kind of reception he's going to get there, but no, the most significant part of this win over the weekend, not that it was the first non-Mercedes winner of 2019, that was pretty significant too, but in fact, it was Honda's first win in Formula 1 since 2006, so... Don't forget that Red Bull are now partnered with Honda um, for their engine supply and everything. And you could have expected that it was expected that they would be quite emotional if they broke through and won. You know, you could see the faces of the Japanese um, employees from the Honda side 
with such emotion on their faces after the race that they had finally won you know this was you know five years ago or whatever when they came into the sport back into the sport sorry when they partnered with McLaren um, they were basically the joke of the sport um, GP2 engine things like that all the comments that Fernando Alonso the sniping from Fernando Alonso when he was in the car and just you know Honda couldn't deliver but after all that um, it was so good that they didn't drop out of the sport they they stayed started this partnership with the Red Bull family of course with Toro Rosso last year and now moving over to the the big Red Bull team um, and they've got that first win they've got that first win and let's hope many more to come because you know, someone's got to knock Mercedes off their perch, and if Ferrari can't seem to get the job done, then it looks like that Red Bull, along with the sleeping giant that has been Honda, have made those gains, so, you know, whether, I guess, this season it's probably not going to be a a regular thing, but hopefully next year, before the uh, big regulation change for 2021, we could see another advancement from Honda to, to put them up there, to have that consistency. So, yeah, that's probably, like, the big, big thing, even though we had a really exciting race. But to take away from it, Honda's win, I think, you know, obviously being a McLaren fan as well and having stuck by the team through the the period that was with the with Honda with the Honda power um it wasn't there was no sort of resentment for Honda I wanted to see them do well and everything and you know even if it's not with McLaren they've come and finally uh had some success you know and that's it's a big win for those guys uh especially back in Japan because they're obviously really passionate about it they came back into Formula One not to just flounder around the rear of the grid or whatever they want to win and they have finally won all right honda aside and everything so the controversy in the third from the last lap uh between leclerc and verstappen was that yeah going into turn or coming out of turn three i should say they did touch um and leclerc had to go wide uh obviously the fallout from the canadian grand prix with sebastian vettel taking getting stripped of his win with that five second penalty the pressure was on the stewards to see what would happen here and again you know like in canada you know they made the right decision so it was passed off as a racing incident um you know they obviously with the runoff there and everything there wasn't going to be much uh, room for for an accident or anything but um yeah you know there was i guess both drivers sort of had a hand in what happened and everything and um yeah Leclerc just lost the win which he wasn't too happy about afterwards his second time this season he's sort of been in that winning position and just not been able to get the job done but you can expect after that performance in the weekend that he's not too far off taking his first win in the sport but yeah you know we still again like the controversy was that we had to wait till wait a few hours after the race to see if Verstappen could keep that win so you know I wasn't going to stay up up until like three o'clock in the morning to see whether that was going to be the case or not I sort of knew that yeah you know on this occasion that it was going to just be passed off as a racing incident but again the stewards made the right call the controversy is the fact that they had to wait uh, or they had to um, investigate it, 
post-race and sort of keep everyone hanging for the results. So this is where I guess all that talk about that we've done over the last couple of weeks about changing some of those sporting regulations for the future to make sure that we don't have these kind of situations that, you know, a penalty can be applied straight away or to judge a case, you know, do a case-by-case sort of situation so that there is a little bit of grey area because whilst Vettel pleaded after Canada that, you know, he had no control of his car, um, blah, 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 that, you know, the other option for him was to crash, you know, if he wasn't penalised. And then Perez in France as well, you know, he was told in the pre-race briefing or whatever that if he goes off the track, he has to go around the bollard to rejoin the circuit. Now, the only way he could do that was to keep stay at speed. And he did, but then he gained a couple of places. And that's why he took that penalty he did at uh, Paul Ricard. So, you know, just a bit of consistency, I guess, is what's required there. So, yeah, Leclerc obviously not happy. Max and the entire Netherlands over the moon. First win of the year. First win also, as I said, for a non-Mercedes uh, team in 2019 too. So I wonder how Ferrari will feel about that, obviously, because... Uh, They've been the chief championship rivals to the Silver Arrows for the past couple of years, and now Red Bull suddenly are in a better position than they are. But again, Austria is a bit of an outlier. It's not, you know, really representative of everywhere else they go. Ferrari haven't been the best here, I guess, since Austria came back to the calendar in 2014. And, you know, you look back to Ferrari's last win at Spielberg it was I think Michael Schumacher in 2003 or 2004 so it's a it's a long time between drinks for those guys so uh yeah not really the best of hunting grounds for them and for Red Bull on a power circuit as well where you know a horsepower is pretty key with you know Renault last year not the most powerful power unit that they had and then this year with Honda who aren't exactly on the Mercedes or Ferrari level have come and um, come and had a good result so good to see from that perspective their Red Bull up there but then for Ferrari a lot of uh, a lot of head scratching sorry and when you look at the results of the whole weekend it probably wasn't the greatest again for them like the opportunity was there for them to to capitalize when Mercedes were struggling and everything but Sebastian Vettel his woes started in qualifying where he had some mechanical issues that meant that he couldn't uh, contest Q3 and as a result he qualified 10th started 9th as a result of some penalties and he could only go back to finish fourth in the end and what had happened as well during the race he was actually quite solid in the early part of the race his first stint on the soft tires he made up quite a bit of ground but I guess they were lured into an early pit stop in response to Valtteri Bottas so they were racing Bottas who finished third ultimately so potential for a podium for Vettel was on there but what had happened is they tried to overcut Bottas on the same lap but what had happened is that they didn't have the tyres ready, basically. So almost like a Daniel Ricciardo Monaco pit stop from a few years ago, uh, Ferrari didn't have the tyres ready, stop was delayed, and as a result, he then fell back a few positions and basically could only race on his own for P4 after Lewis Hamilton had his own problems as well during the race. So yeah, Bottas third, Vettel fourth, um, 
a, another that'll ended up making a second stop as well for the soft tire to to be a bit quicker at the end and to take Lewis Hamilton's uh, fourth position um, to yeah to get that extra place. But you know for him as a net result in the championship standings, he's dropped a place now because. Uh, Max Verstappen has won a race and he moves up into third in the standings whilst Vettel, without a win, uh, drops back to fourth. On Lewis Hamilton, so he started fifth, uh, sorry, he started fourth after a three-place grid penalty. How does that work when you qualify second and drop three places, you're in fourth? I'll tell you how that works because... Kevin Magnussen also took a uh, five, uh, sorry, a five-place grid penalty or something like that, or ten-place grid penalty. I don't know. He took a penalty of sorts, and anyway, just the order of the grid meant that you know because of where Hamilton was and where Magnussen was, Magnussen dropped, which moved everyone up, um, and that happened after Hamilton's penalty or something. So, yeah, you know, Hamilton only then basically lost two places, started fourth. He struggled with tyre temperatures, as did Bottas, but Bottas didn't have the front wing problems that Hamilton did. There was a crack in Hamilton's front wing, and he ended up having to change that front wing, which lost him a bunch of time. And then Vettel, obviously, at the end on the soft tyres, was able to get past him. So, yeah, off weekend for Mercedes. Kind of like, you know, Singapore 2015, where they sort of were nowhere, but, you know... I guess it was a relief to everyone else to see them not at the front and seeing a processional race. And I guess same thing last year where Mercedes, they had their last double DNF. And I sort of hinted before the race last week on the podcast that, you know, this was a bogey circuit for Mercedes last year. You know, what's what's there to stop them from doing it again this year? But it wasn't DNFs. They still had a podium there with Bottas. And then, yeah, fifth for Hamilton in the end. Sort of in the midfield now. Or, well, it is the midfield. Um, Lando Norris, brilliant. Again, just... I can wax lyrical about this guy for the whole podcast, basically. He's just been fantastic so far this year. I went on a little bit last week about how he beats himself up a bit too much as well. He's a very self-critical even though he's been getting good results, he expects more, which is good to see from him because, you know, McLaren, they've not had the best of uh, best of luck over the last few years. Then, you know, obviously going through a couple of young drivers as well, Magnussen first and then Stoffel Van Dorn, who's off, you know, greener pastures where he's racing now. But yeah, you know, Lando's got that intent and everything, which is good to see. He qualified a career best fifth um, and... That he wasn't affected by any of the penalties ahead of him. Uh, well, sorry, he started from fifth because of Magnussen dropping. So he was sixth and then finished the race in sixth as well, which is his career best result. I uh, should actually... I just couldn't understand my own notes there for a second. Wow. Anyway, um, and at the start, he was phenomenal because he was alongside Lewis Hamilton. He was up in third, then was dragging with Lewis Hamilton down to turn three. Um, and this is without any DRS assistance as well. But, you know, this is the brilliance of this guy is that so far this year, he's been holding his own against some pretty big names. You know, we talked about how in Bahrain and even in France last weekend, he was, oh, sorry, two weekends ago, he was wheel to wheel with Kimi Raikkonen. And Kimi Raikkonen, who's almost double his age as well, and the veteran of the sport, veteran of the sport at the moment, he just 
shows no quarter, but you know the respect is there. But he's just he's racing hard and without any incident as well, which is great to see. So again, a solid result for McLaren because they scored points with both cars. Carlos Sainz, who was really, I guess, frustrated and disappointed at the start of the weekend because they took on that fresh power unit, um, the upgraded Renault over the weekend and as a result he had to start from the rear of the field with a with a grid penalty um from the rear of the field he came back to finish p8 so you know solid result for him and you know whilst other cars and other teams are sort of struggling with race pace mclaren seemed to be doing so well and i guess this is another reason why uh mclaren was so against the idea of switching back to the 2018 spec pirelli tires which again you know got voted against by the majority of teams it was a proposition on the table and the majority of teams um, they needed a 70 percent um agreement to be able to vote them in and it's really good that um everyone's decided that it's best not to go back to the 2018 tire because what it does it just defeats all the team's progress you know all the teams that have made progress this year to adapt to the current regulations current tires and all that and you know going backwards is not what formula one is about even though they have had to backpedal a few decisions that they've made in the past and everything and mclaren's one of those teams that you know have benefited as, as a result of these tires this year they've built a car that suits them and everything mercedes is another one so you know for them going backwards obviously it's to do with the guys at the front mercedes you know try and try and dethrone them in a way but no you know it's not not a great thing so you got to just work with the regulations you've got and if your car doesn't seem to to work then you know you've got to change your design philosophy and that's i guess unfortunate as well because you know you shouldn't have to everything shouldn't be dictated by the tires but you know without the tires in a sport like formula one which is so aerodynamically driven without the tires you know they're basically building fighter jets sort of thing so you got to have something to keep them in contact with the with the tarmac so you know that's one thing i'm glad that they didn't do even if it means we're going to get boring racing you know whether austria is the the only exciting race of the year that we get we shouldn't have to just backpedal these sort of things and you know teams need to whatever work they do to to get themselves ahead that's the the key thing and that's where teams like haas who again were just nowhere over the weekend and you got to say as well though the one lap speed is there and kevin magnuson who did qualify in fifth initially that was a great lap to go fifth but then in the race and of course having that penalty as well to drop him back in the grid just nowhere roman grosjean again so you know those guys have got to got to figure something out to try and get their car working with these pirelli tires because um yeah it's not going to be a good year for them otherwise it's sort of the worst sort of campaign that they've had so far i guess in the in the four years that they've been in the sport now so yeah science brilliant in p8 ahead of the alfa romeos kimi raikkonen ninth and antonio giovinazzi finally scores his first f1 points which is great to see as well the italian who's you know he debuted back two years ago for sauber for a couple of races standing in for marcus ericsson and then this year he gets the full-time drive alongside kimi two completely different drivers but they get along you know Giovinazzi learning from Kimi as well there in that team which is good to see 
and yeah, you know, first points for him, even though it's just the one point. So hopefully more to come for him. No points for Renault, though. Struggles for Haas, as I already said. Then, you know, there was Williams were in the headlines, um, funnily, uh, because of a technical error on the Formula One uh, website or whatever they whatever system they use to decide the driver of the day when they do the polls online. And it saw Robert Kubitzer awarded driver of the day even though he finished dead last but it was actually Max Verstappen who polled the most votes so that was a bit of a glitch on their side that saw Kubica come to the fore unless he puts in a solid drive this year I don't think he's going to be voted driver of the day um, at all and yeah you got to feel bad for for Kubica because you know he's a driver who's capable of winning races and fighting with the guys at the front but the situation with Williams at the moment and even just his own form probably not not where it needs to be as far as being at the maximum to uh, get great results in F1 like he's been beaten by his teammate George Russell all year so far so yeah not the greatest of seasons so far for Kubitzer and probably not that fairy tale comeback that everyone would have hoped for and rounding out the F1 talk, I guess, for this edition, um, still on the Red Bull theme, though, and going over to their junior team. So we've sort of talked about for a while how the Red Bull junior team, their stocks are quite low at the moment. The fact that last year that they had to go and get Brendan Hartley back into the system, then this year they got Danny Kvyat and also Alexander Albon, who was dropped as well, uh, over to Toro Rosso but you know now they've identified a new junior driver or though who's been in their system but sort of going taking another career path and that's Patrizio O'Ward the Mexican driver who was racing in America um, in IndyCar and everything he was at the Indy 500 this year he's been drafted in he was drafted in for a substitute drive in F2 over the weekend where he in his own words got an ass whooping uh, but hopefully he can come right soon but he'll be taken over to the super formula in Japan and um, will take Dan Tickton's drive Dan Tickton dropped of course um, by Red Bull just not making enough of an impression and we know that Tickton is the outspoken kind of character and just hasn't really performed on track so you know no surprise there that Red Bull have quickly move to to drop him and award potentially in line to make a Toro Rosso debut next year or even the year after if he can accumulate the points in his super license and you know he's probably someone who didn't expect to to come over to Formula One but you know with you know the Mexican Grand Prix sort of um, up in the air as well Sergio Perez obviously the only Mexican driver on the grid um, having another guy come in who is not Esteban Gutierrez, quite frankly, um, would be quite good to see. And O'Ward, you know, obviously, he's raced in IndyCar, Indy 500, and now, you know, going to try his hand at the Japanese Super Formula, which should see him all trained up and ready to potentially move over to F2 full-time or even straight into F1 for Toro Rosso. So that'll be great to see. And, you know, yeah, Red Bull trying to rejuvenate their young driver program, try and get some more people in there um, who aren't Dan Tickton or Esteban Gutierrez, even though Gutierrez is not really a young driver anymore and won't be able to get into that program. So, yeah, that all about wraps up the F1 side of this podcast today. 
just such a great race, Austria again. Two years in a row, it's delivered. What's going to happen in Silverstone next time out? Like, you can concede that the championship's pretty much done and over with, but at least each race can, on its own merit, be exciting. You know, Silverstone last year was an absolute cracker, and I did say when we were when I talked about uh, my top five races, the hybrid era, when looking at the um, when count when sorry getting ready for the 1000 Grand Prix in China this year. Uh, one of the, my top five races in the hybrid era was Silverstone last year because it was both Mercedes, both Ferraris fighting wheel to wheel, those awesome, you know, helicopter shots of them, all four of those cars going into Maggots and Beckett's together um, at the same time, um, one behind each other. It's the wheel to wheel racing we want to see. It's almost MotoGP like in that instance. And, We'll get to MotoGP in a second, but yeah, you know, that was, and Silverstone, the home of Formula One, the spiritual home and everything, there is the potential that this year could be the last race at Silverstone as well. Um, talk about the London Grand Prix gaining momentum and that, um, you know, Liberty wouldn't be opposed to making that switch if Silverstone didn't have the cash or whatever or cash to front up and everything and you know obviously all the changes that Silverstone have made as far as their track surface goes the resurfacing and everything over the last few years has been uh, more towards MotoGP you know to get the surface right for that and F1 in a in a sense has suffered even though the race last year was really good so yeah you know I guess Silverstone sort of shot themselves in the foot you could say um with what's happened over the last few years doing the activating that break clause as well to to get themselves out of that contract that um, they signed under Bernie Eccleston but you know what I guess yeah they shot themselves in the foot that's all I could say so that sort of wraps it up there with the F1 stuff let's go over to MotoGP and yeah, it was at Assen, the Dutch TT, which always is an exciting race. And again, we had a classic top three battle to the chequered flag where Maverick Vinales broke through for Yamaha for their first win in 2019. It wasn't as uh, great a race for Valentino Rossi. He fell, he crashed out with Takaki Nakagami, of course, and um, Nakagami, thankfully uninjured in that. He was stretched off, of course. But for Rossi, it's just been it's been diabolical the last three races and I'll talk a bit more about the old doctor um, a bit later but yeah for Vinales it was quite a you know quite a relief to see him break through for Yamaha um, the top three were all close Alex Rins was up there as well on the Suzuki but he crashed out too it was Fabio Quattararo on pole again and finished on the podium too in P3 you've got to say that those mega wobbles he was having you know at the uh, end of the straight where he sort of topped out and the bike was just jiggling about um sort of cost him the win because you know that kept allowing Mark Marquez to come back in and uh take that position off him uh for the lead and then Vinales sort of a bit more stable was able to come back and um come at Marquez and take that uh victory off him and Marquez I guess with the security in the championship standings that he had uh, ultimately made the decision to settle down and come home second in the end. He's got a 44-point lead over Andrea De Vizioso, who, along with Ducati, didn't have the greatest of races. 
they sort of struggled with the heat and temperature and everything with their bike and fourth was ultimately the best place uh, finish for a Ducati and that was Davizioso. He and his teammate uh, Danilo Petrucci were fighting for that fourth position but ultimately Petrucci fell back to sixth and we had Franco Morbidelli in the middle there um, on the satellite Yamaha that also Quattararo rides so you know three Yamahas in the top five a great result and obviously with Valentino Rossi falling I mean yeah it's just it's you know kind of reminiscent of those dark days at Ducati for Rossi at the moment you know and it's not been a bed of roses for Yamaha either this season but they're making progress where with the satellite bikes the Petronas SRT um, bikes that Quattararo and Morbidelli ride and then Vinales of course now breaking through for the win he had the pole position of course in the first race in Qatar but yeah for Rossi it's just been it's been awful and the last three races so Mugello his home race he crashed out in Catalonia he was uh, a victim of that Lorenzo bowling ball incident um, even though he I think he still finished the race but he wasn't in the points and then again in Assen he crashes out one of his favorite venues where he's won a lot of races so it just all sort of leads you to believe that the problems that Rossi's having it's not to do with his form or anything you know it's just his bike in particular and you know, you don't want to say his bike's cursed or anything, but maybe it's the team around him, his crew chief, you know, things like that. Is that the reason why he's struggling? Like, there's been a lot of chatter online and everything about this sort of thing, whether uh, he's just surrounded himself by a group of yes men and basically no one's got the not the no one's got the stones to tell him that, you know, this is the wrong thing we're doing, we've got to go in this direction, and that's sort of you know where his partnership with Jeremy Jeremy Burgess for so long the Aussie was so good and then ultimately when they parted ways at the end of 2015 or sorry at the end of 2014 I think uh, there was a bit of a resurgence for Rossi in his form he was in the championship contention again with Lorenzo in 2015 he was winning races and everything but along with Yamaha's form Rossi sort of declined too so whether another change in his crew is needed or anything, whether they need to start being a bit more tougher and going in a different direction, that's probably the more likely thing because I don't think Rossi will ever, his form will never decline. He can always be up there. But yeah, it's just whether, you know, all those other things are being executed properly and at the moment probably not. And, you know, Obviously, the age thing gets thrown around a lot. He's 40 now. Um, he is kind of, kind of at the end of his career, but he doesn't believe so. Like, he's obviously contracted to the end of next year as well. Hopefully, he gets to see out that contract. It would be pretty tragic if he decided to hang up his boots at the end of the year. But at the same time, it's really painful from a fan perspective to see him sort of struggling through these races where, you know, his teammate Vinales has won a race. You see those satellite Yamaha bikes as well on pole position, scoring podiums. Yeah, you don't want the great man to, to bow out in that way. You talk about so many drivers, so many riders in their careers, in their motorsport careers that have ended their careers and, 
in a bit of a heap. You know, Fernando Alonso is one that comes to mind immediately. Uh, Michael Schumacher as well, unfortunately, when he uh, retired the second time after racing with Mercedes, couldn't even uh, win a race, you know, even though they had a race-winning car at the end of his tenure there. Uh, he was on the podium only once, even though it could have been potentially many more. So, yeah, it's just it's something you don't want to see, the GOAT of MotoGP, and Rossi is still very much the GOAT. Um, over 100, you know, 115 wins, he's got seven world championships in the Premier Class, nine altogether. Um, you don't want to see him bow out on the ba the wrong foot. So, yeah, that's sort of where, where it is at with Rossi at the moment. Um, elsewhere, well, we, I just mentioned Lorenzo. And, uh, again, he finds himself injured. And on the south sidelines, he had a horrible crash in FP1 there. And Assen fractured his back. And um, he'll miss the next race in Saxon Ring. Then, of course, they've got the summer break there in Europe. And he'll be hopefully back for Bruno. And Lorenzo just ever since his switch to the Repsol Honda, has not really been in any sort of form. Like, he he finally found form on the Ducati, and that was after he announced that he would be leaving Ducati. So how long is it going to take for him to find form on the Honda? And as Marquez has said as well throughout the year, the Honda is not the easiest bike to ride, but Marquez is just a freak of nature that he can... I mean, even he struggles to keep that thing, um, keep that thing on the track, but... You know, that's that's Marquez. But yeah, for Lorenzo, he's really struggled. And I guess now to miss a few more races to try and get his fitness right, you know, is it going to, are we going to ever see that same Jorge Lorenzo again that can win another world championship? He's won three in the premier class. He, um, is he going to, is this sort of the end where we're going to with Lorenzo? Because, you know, while Marquez is his teammate, it's going to be very difficult for him to, to win. And what we've seen so far this year, I don't think it's going to be the case. So, yeah, I think, you know, if Lorenzo does come back, he finds form on the Honda. He might just be in that Danny Pedrosa state of uh, state of nowhere, just win the odd race here and there, finish on the podium. That's it. At least, unlike Pedrosa, Lorenzo has some uh, Premier Class championships under his belt that he can be proud of too and take away. So yeah, again, like I said with the Formula One thing earlier as well about how we're sort of in that generational shift or we're getting a sneak preview of what the sport may look like once the established stars move on. You know, there's going to be a time soon where Lorenzo, Rossi, they're all going to, Davizioso even, they're all going to hang up the helmets and uh, no longer be there. Marquez, you know, I guess the... Good, <laughs> the good and bad thing about him is that he started so early that he could, you know, he's basically already gone through one generation with the likes of Lorenzo Rossi and Pedrosa and Davizioso, and then he can still be racing in the second, the next generation, and still winning, along with the likes of Quattararo and Vinales and Rins and Juan Mir and Jack Miller and stuff like that. So, yeah, you know, this is where Rossi's records are all under threat because, yeah, Marquez, he's still very young. He's only 26 and he's already won six Premier Class World Championships. So where's that going to end, I guess? So we'll just wait and see. But for the race there in Assen, we had Cal Crutchlow 7th ahead of Juan Mir, Jack Miller and Andrea Inoni with his best result on the Aprilian 10th. 
not the greatest weekend for Jack Miller, of course, and the the mail is that largely the mail largely is that he's going to stay put at the Primac team for next year as um, Danilo Petrucci is likely to keep his spot in the uh, factory Ducati team. So I guess it's no big loss for Miller as long as he gets to still have the um, you know up to date spec machinery, the GP20. It should be next year. Um, for Ducati, so as long as he's on that bike, that's probably all that um, all that's going to be necessary. And you know what? Maybe next year Davizioso might decide to retire after the end of next year if he can't uh, if he can't get any more success, you know, or if he's had enough. So yeah, we could potentially see Miller move up in 2021 to the factory Ducati. So again, Miller very young, skipped Moto Two to come into Moto GP. So you know, there's still a lot of time for him to get into a position where he can win races and win championships as well so yeah and speaking of Davizioso 44 point lead as I said before so looking very much like Marquez has got uh, one hand on this championship uh, given that the form he he does carry it's very hard to beat him but you know if Marquez ends up injured or has a few DNFs you could pretty much put Davizioso back into contention so from a neutral perspective that's probably what you want but yeah, it's, it's looking very unlikely. And going into the next race as well, the Saxon Ring in Germany, that's another venue that Marquez has been unbeaten since he came into MotoGP in 2013. But that being said, we saw him finally lose a race at in Austin this year in, in Texas. So what if that trend is going to continue and we see him not win over there in Germany? That could be something too to look forward to. So and we don't have long either because it's this weekend, which is great. And just a bit of trivia as well before I sign off on the MotoGP segment. Um, this was posted on the MotoGP social media profiles that um, the last time that Maverick Vinales won a race, which was Phillip Island last year, was also on the same day that Max Verstappen won his last race in F1, which was the Mexican Grand Prix. And again, on the same day, uh, Vinales won in Assen as Max won later on in Austria. So... There's the stars aligning, I guess. So if uh, Vinales wants to win a race, then he's got to rely on Max Verstappen to win as well over an F1. So that's quite, uh, you know, that's one of those little things that you could, uh, I don't think it's water cooler chat, but it's not really going to, going to win over any, uh, win, win over any plaudits, I guess. Uh, you know, you wouldn't really do that on a, bring that stat up on a date or something. So yeah, you could try your luck see how you go <laughs> anyway let's move it on now and um been talking a lot of rugby league over the last few weeks obviously because of state of origin it's such a great contest and everything and we're finally heading into the final uh game of this year's series the decider there at ANZ Stadium in New South Wales next Wednesday um it's going to be a big game and for Queensland they've said it's probably the the bad uh, sorry the Queensland it's they've said it's their most uh, biggest origin contest in the state's entire history so it goes to show you how seriously they're taking it and they really the odds sort of seem against them at the moment as well after the drubbing they had in game two over in Perth um, they really need a f to find a way to win this one otherwise that'll be two series in a row that they've lost and I don't think they've done that since the early 2000s or anything so you know, the last time New South Wales won a series before last year, 2014, you know, they didn't win, go on to win the next one. So, you know, 
there is the chance that, yeah, New South Wales could go back-to-back and it's looking very likely. So quickly going over the teams and everything. So New South Wales only having to make changes due to injury and suspension, which is good to see. So they've stayed loyal for the team that won game two. Uh, Nathan Cleary, who was initially named there at uh, halfback, has succumbed to his ankle injury that he had, obviously, in game two. And they've called in Mitchell Pearce, which is great because... You know, for everyone who's uh, followed the Mitchell Pearce storyline and everything, it's been a bit sad because of how he was made a scapegoat every time they lost under the previous coach, uh, Laurie Daly, and the previous era for New South Wales. But this could be a bit of origin redemption that he deserves. And he's clearly um, changed his act. He's clearly, you know, become more mature as well since his move to Newcastle from the Sydney Roosters. He was the man of the match like five or six games in a row this year and he should have been a guaranteed lock to be in that Origin team if it wasn't for injury on both occasions um, when the previous two teams were named. But he'll join James Maloney in the halves and those guys have had a whole lot of success together. They won the uh, Premiership for the Sydney Roosters, um, the 2014 series as well. They were both in the halves together. So Maloney... He pretty much, uh, because of his leadership and everything, he was the key to them winning game two. And, you know, putting Maloney and Pierce together in such good form makes them a a good prospect for game three. And uh, David Clemmer returns to the team after Tarek Sims copped the suspension for his uh, hit on Michael Morgan last week when the Dragons uh, crushed by North Queensland Cowboys. At least that's one crumb of comfort I can take from that, that we won't have Sims uh, lining up against us in the Origin game. So, And I guess for David Clemmer too, he wasn't initially named in the in the 17 for New South Wales. So whether he's a bit filthy or not for that, who knows. But he's been recalled because he was injured. He missed a little bit. Um, he missed game two. But yeah, you know, he's definitely a lock to have in your team uh, with uh, Sims out of there. For Queensland, a few changes, of course, off the back of that humiliating loss in Perth. So, mainly to do with their forward pack, actually. So, Joe Offerhem Gowie comes back in. He was injured, of course, in the first game, missed a game for Brisbane as well, and then came back last week. And Christian Welch from Melbourne will also make his debut as well off the bench. So, a bit of extra grunt there in the forwards, good to see. Then, I guess, the big out for Queensland, and this is why New South Wales, the odds are with them, is that Kalen Ponga will not be playing. He's out injured, which is very, very, very awful. But whether it may be, because he hasn't really had much impact in this series anyway, so it might not be too big a loss for them to not have Ponga in the team. But the question was, who was going to play fullback? They have got like 100 players in the Queensland team at the moment that could play Fullback from, you know, Cameron Munster, Corey Norman, Michael Morgan, Moses Mbai as well. But they've gone for Cameron Munster to switch over to fullback. Corey Norman will make his origin debut at 5'8", uh, alongside Daly Cherry Evans, the captain and the full, the halfback, sorry. Michael Morgan has been named at the centre position at number three. But given that he's still in that concussion protocol after being taken out by Sims in that... Uh, Dragons versus Cowboys game last week there is the potential for 
uh, Morgan to come off the bench in that utility position in number 14. And a lot of people have been talking about how he might be better suited to do that than rather play that centre position. You know, as a utility, he can be a lot more loose in where he plays and he's got a bigger body and everything. And let Mbai uh, make his uh, starting side debut at number three. So I wouldn't be opposed to that either. It might mean that Morgan gets a bit more of an influence in the game too. And obviously with the the quick legs of Kalen Ponga not in the team, uh, yeah, you know, having... Morgan sort of in that utility position might make up for that but Munster as well he's he's solid even though he hasn't played a game at fullback since um, the first round I think last year so we'll wait and see what happens but I really I think New South Wales can wrap this up there at at home in uh, in Sydney um, unfortunately (laughs) but you know they've just been so good and you know I guess the loss in game one sort of opened their eyes a little bit. They had to make a couple of changes. We did agree with all those changes, but in the end it was justified. And if they can pull it off here, it's going to be, I guess, redemption for Mitchell Pierce as well. James Maloney too, having not been selected in the first game. You know, his influence over the team is quite significant. And, you know, for New South Wales to go back to back as well for the first time in a long time. It's going to be quite significant and what it does for Queensland poses a lot of questions maybe about the coach Kevin Walters who apparently is trying to get a job in Clubland as well maybe with the Gold Coast Titans Um, will it jeopardize his position as origin coach and everything I think he's still contracted to the end of next year but in the NRL contracts mean nothing apparently so you know we'll see how we go there but yeah it's going to be exciting game as always and whoever wins you know it's origin. It's always great to uh, great as a spectacle, and um, I look forward to the game on Wednesday. So yeah, I think that wraps it. Uh, that about wraps it up for this week's edition. Thanks for tuning in as always. Next week I'm going to be back to talk about the British Grand Prix, of course, potentially the last one that we could have at Silverstone for a while. Uh, Supercars is on this weekend in Townsville. It's a pretty crucial round, I guess. Triple Eight have formed there. Can they bounce back? MotoGP in Saxon Ring as well. And you know what? I might even talk about F1 2019, the video game. I picked it up last week. I haven't had a lot of time with it, but I've enjoyed it so far what I've played. So might even uh, spend some time on there this weekend and give a more detailed have a detailed discussion about that sort of thing if you're interested in games and that sort of jazz um cricket world cup as well we're slowly getting to the end unfortunately pakistan in a bit of a heap after england won their last two games they were sort of reliant uh pakistan on england not winning or winning one of their two games to be able to jump into the top four but now they basically have to beat bangladesh by a million runs to get the net run rate above new zealand to get in not going to happen. Australia, India locks there. England lock as well. Just New Zealand, I guess, that um, have that position under threat, but they should be able to seal out that top four position. But yeah, at the moment, as it stands, I reckon it's uh, hard to look past Australia to win it, which would be quite good for them to go back to back. And considering last year it was one of their worst years as an ODI team, 
this year they've just been faultless. You know, they they beat India in India, they beat Pakistan in the UAE, and then so far through the World Cup, they've only dropped, I think, one game or something like that. So, yeah, they've been quite solid. So, talk about that next week, and even some NBA free agency, even though I don't want to, as a New York Knicks fan who's been long-suffering and as a result of their incompetence in the front office, we do not have Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving or even DeAndre Jordan. So, yeah, that's it. Anyway, on that note, thanks for tuning in this week, and um, we'll see you guys next week.